Welcome to Sound Medicine, mantras and music podcast, where you will hear from various healers, musicians, visionaries, and educators. Get ready to experience transformational and inspiring storytelling, songs, chants, and interviews that will uplift your spirits, mood, and health. Welcome back to Sound Medicine, Mantras and Music. Today we have a special guest, Rajeshwari Gretchen Carmel, also known as Raji Ma or Raji. She is a entrepreneur, a yoga instructor, and she leads yoga teacher trainings in mantra. She is also a professional dancer and teacher and leads a yoga studio known as the yoga space as well as teaching yoga therapy and is a reiki master so she has a rich background in the healing arts and mantra as a path of yoga and she is here to really express and guide us on how we can best utilize these tools in our life and explains also about the path of yoga as it pertains to mantra. Her spiritual teachers have been Namadeva, as well as Sadguru Ramamata and Santakeshava Das. And she has been initiated as a Sanskrit mantra teacher and a certified pujari, ordained as a Vedic priest by Namadeva in the lineage of Sanatana Dharma Satsang, which she explains during our interview. And uh, she leads teachings at the yoga space, and she is just a wonderful person, a compassionate being, holding healing and peace for the planet, facilitating this at a very high level with a dedicated commitment. And I think you will really love the interview. Hey, Raju, welcome to Sound Medicine Podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. For those listeners that, that don't know much about you, can you just give a little history on how you got introduced to this world of, of mantras and, and yoga? And uh, I think it's always fascinating to hear people's life path. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting how many different stories I'm sure you hear. But um, let's see. Well, I, I was, I've was i been dancing all my life. So I was a professional dancer for other teenage years and in my 20s and dancing professionally in New York in the tri-state area. So I was really attuned to my body. But unfortunately, it's not the healthiest career. So lots of injuries. It's not a very long career either. And I really wanted to dive into something that was physical but had a really healthy lifestyle. And I had been dabbling in yoga just a little bit, like a class here and there, and I decided to go to Kripalu Center in uh, Massachusetts and just go ahead and do my month-long training. So I did in 1993 um, when it was still an ashram back then. Um, that was a yoga so teacher training? It was a, yeah, it was like the 200-hour yoga teacher training. Beautiful. Absolutely. So that's how I kind of stepped into the yoga world. In the, on the physical level and really enjoyed it. And when I graduated, I really started teaching full time and um, have been teaching yoga since 1993. So I went along my path and was teaching a lot of physical yoga and really enjoying it. And in 2006, 
I met Namadeva Acharya. And I had opened, I've been running the yoga space. It's a studio, a yoga studio in Keene, New Hampshire. We just celebrated our 17th year. So, congratulations. Thank you. So, in 2006, I met Namadeva Acharya, Thomas Ashley Ferrand, and that completely shifted my world and my path. So, right now, it's mantra meditation is my full time work. Um, and the lineage of Namadeva Acharya is my full-time work at the moment. And uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. I mean, I met Namadeva at Kropalu Center, actually, for a workshop, uh, Myths and Mantras of Ganesha. And, oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, it was beautiful. And I just, I had this, like, relationship with Ganesha. I loved that deity. And, Me too. Yeah. And when I met him, you know, there were a couple things that kind of happened that week that felt to me like an initiation and one thing led to the next and I became good friends. He was my spiritual teacher, my mentor, and I was able to work closely with him for four years. Wow. Um, so I feel really blessed. I'm really grateful for that time and uh, became certified mantra teacher and uh, Pujari Vedic priest under his lineage and and yeah, I mean, still practicing the physical practices of yoga, but really moving into the more esoteric practices of Vedic ceremony, mantra. And mantra in his his way, his lineage is mantra therapy. So it's, mm. it's different from other kind of yogis coming from the East. He, he's really known for the therapeutic benefit of mantra and how you can use mantra for everyday suffering or everyday problems. And I kind of took his work. So I was really excited about his work and I could see the benefit in it. So I just kind of dove right in. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Can you, you hit on a, a number of subjects that are fascinating. One is that you've been a yoga teacher for about almost 30 years. Is that correct? That's right. And then you've, you've been integrating mantra for about 20 years or so, 15, 20 years. And how does a, pre how, when you're teaching these days, how has it shifted since in the last few decades since you started? And what does a pre what does a class or a practice look like for you both in a group and one-on-one? -on -one? Okay. So that's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of information there. So let me see if I can tap into that. So yeah, as far as my teaching goes, I mean, I feel like just my, my immersion into ceremony and mantra has changed me in a way that I'm more centered and focused and can really step into the teachings maybe in a way that feels more confident, I suppose. So I feel like my yoga teaching has uh, definitely incorporated more confidence. And also I feel like I weave a lot of mantra and philosophy in my yoga classes now, which I didn't before. So a typical yoga class would be a meditation in the beginning, some chant, just some call and response, simple, simple chant, and maybe a little mantra japa repetition of mantra. And then going into yoga class with you know, the warm ups and the seated poses and moving into standing poses, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end, we would repeat some mantras as well, maybe even some visualizations and shavasana. Um, little philosophy, maybe some quotes from Namadeva at the end, or even I like to quote from the Radiant Sutras a lot. Mm, um, yeah. 
So I feel like it's just really deepened my overall experience of what yoga is and how profound it is and how it really is this ancient science of purification. Whereas before it was a workout for me. And so it's kind of broadened my base completely. Beautiful. Yeah. So you're, you're defining yoga now as more of a science of purification as opposed to a workout. Exactly. Yeah. And what does the yogic path look like for you, for you individually right now? Where, what is the path, if there's a path? There's always a path. Uh, there's always a journey. Yeah. Um, do you mean, what does it look like? When you say individually, do you mean, what do I see for my future? Or what do I, how do I feel like I'm moving now into it? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. So a lot of people say they're on, they have a, a purpose or a dharma, right? So, and where, where do you, where do you see yourself in terms of your purpose or your dharma is one aspect of what I'm asking. Okay. That's a really beautiful question. Actually, in this moment, it's really perfect because I was, I've been running the studio for a long time and, and, and there have been daily yoga classes and we've hosted a lot of very famous musicians and yogis from all over the world. And so that's pretty much been my role and over the years and now, and I think it's probably because of COVID, which is unfortunate, but fortunate in a way that I've really been diving into more of the trainings that I'm creating in Namadeva's lineage and moving slightly, I still have the studio, but slightly moving away from those things and moving into mantra teacher trainings that I've started to create. I actually launched the first uh, mantra teacher training in 2016. So my dharma really feels as though it's taking Namadeva's work um, among other people in the lineage and making it really accessible to people. He passed away in 2010. So I just want to add that he, he left his body in 2010 and left so much work that it's just astounding how much there is. And his, he has a mantra teacher training also. There's so much in that, but there's also so much information that he didn't really teach to the general public. He has books, but he also has all these workshops that are just saturated with a lot. And so part of my dharma feels, I feel like it's a lifetime work from now on for me. Beautiful. So it's expanding on the work of, of what Namadeva was doing and, and offering mantra teacher trainings is really what you're called to, how you're called to show up right now. Exactly. Yes. Beautiful. Can you, can you, can you share for those that are interested and kind of their ears are percolating a little bit when they hear you say mantra teacher training, can you describe what that is, what that looks like? Sure, exactly. So the mantra teacher training that I'm creating is it's all Namadeva's work. It's all his lineage. And it's a combination of there. We do, we do some physical yoga. We do some kind of the standard pranayama, breath work, meditation, but we focus on the practice of mantra. So we have mantra energetics. We talk about the spiritual physiology and the energetics of mantra and the Sanskrit language. We talk about the history of mantra. We talk about the history of Namadeva and his lineage. And then we go on, we actually learn 154 mantras with their 
meanings and their applications and how that we can utilize those mantras in our daily life for healing and for peace, for clarity. There's just, there's so much. And we also learn three hymns and we learn an invocation and we learn a closing verse. So all of that is incorporated in the training. And along with learning mantras, we learn how to share it and how to teach it. And we do some sacred art actually as part of the program. And we have presenters that come in that talk about all kinds of things. So it's a really well-rounded program and there's a lot of mentorship included in it as well. So yeah, so that's what I'm doing. And it's, it, it feels, it's really powerful and it's changed a lot of people's lives already. And um, I just, I look forward to continuing that path. Yes, that's, that's an incredible offering. I, f- I feel very similarly to you in terms of the power of mantra and, and teaching. And I think this is really beautiful what you're offering, especially incorporating with your history and your background, all the very aspects of yoga beyond just the asana and, and mantra therapy in, in itself. I've been part of a number of teacher trainings, teaching anatomy and physiology, and very rarely have I seen a focus on mantra. Exactly. It's unique. It, it, it is unique. It's actually the first Yoga Alliance certified program that is a mantra teacher training. So it's, it is Yoga Alliance certified if anyone's interested in that as well. So it's, it's I mean, Namadeva's mantra teacher training was really the first, I believe. Um, and his is still available. It's, it's more of a self-study program. And I, I went through that and it's powerful. It is. So much information, right? So much information. I wish I had a group to go through it with like what you're offering. I, I think the community piece, especially right now in the time of social distancing and people wanting to connect and also learn in groups is really powerful it is. and helpful. It is very helpful. The support for each other is really powerful. And we also, we, I offer it in different ways. I offer it online, but I also offer it at my studio in Keene, New Hampshire. So there are different different formats and ways that you can participate. And for those that are more local here, we actually go kind of out in the field and we work. We've gone to the local jail and work with inmates. We work with recovery centers. And that's been such an amazing experience for everybody involved to bring these mantras. I mean, really simple, simple work to folks that can really take the energy in and who really feel the power of it. You know, they have time to heal and they want to heal. So that's been a, a really big part of the program as well. The outreach, that's, that's really beautiful. That's really nice. So, so there's, a, there's a, obviously there's, in any kind of program like this, you have the self-discovery, the self-learning. You get value for your own soul path and your own purpose. And then there's the value that's offered that if you're inspired, not everybody that goes through these trainings go to teach others in a group or a one-on-one, but many, many do. So there's that opportunity as well. And you're you're teaching teachers. Is that what I'm hearing part of it? Well, there's lots of different people that take the training. So there Mm -hmm. are people, I mean, there are people that come and say, I want to teach mantra. They don't have to be certified in yoga at all to come take the Mm -hmm. mantra training. So but some really want to teach mantra or they're already yoga teachers. They want to incorporate it into their work. But there are a lot of people that just come take it for personal transformation. I just want to mm-hmm. learn. They just want to learn about mantra, and they want to learn about Namadeva's lineage, or they're curious. I think curiosity is 
is a main ingredient for doing the training. And some people go ahead and teach like they wanted to. Some turn around and teach even though they didn't want to. And some, <laughs> and some don't teach and just kind of keep it for themselves. And that's fine. Yeah. So can you, you're part of a lineage. You've taught, you've used that word a few times. Can you speak to the lineage that you are part of or that is that you're, that you are, because it's, I think that's important to speak to. And also that anybody that's connected with you or inspired to work with you, they in turn are also part of something greater. And I think that's so many of us feel alone on the spiritual path and being connected to um, some, some source that feels part of the lineage is, is, it's pretty powerful. It is. And it's important. It's an important piece to bring up, especially when, when I went to Kripalu and I met Namadeva, I was not seeking a spiritual teacher. I was not, I really didn't even understand the kind of guru disciple relationship. It wasn't part of my verbiage. Like it just wasn't. And then when I met him and we had this energetic connection and I was so drawn to the work, I still didn't consider him my guru, even though guru means teacher. And he was my teacher for many years. And so it took me a while to really understand that relationship and to understand that his work really was part of a lineage. And so the lineage that Namadeva comes from, his spiritual teacher was Sadhguru Sankeshavadas, who I'm sure you know about, and Sadhguru Ramamata. And I believe it was 1975 when he started, or 1972 when he started studying under Sadhguru Sankeshavadas and uh, in India, in uh, Bangalore. And that was a time for Namadeva when he stepped into the lineage and felt the power of not just the work, but of the teachings. Like a lineage is, it can be for a very long time and you can feel the you can feel the energy of the history. Like there's all these teachings that happen for so long and you can feel that vibration when you're in someone's presence who's been chanting so much and teaching so much. And so that's what I felt from Namadeva. It was, it was him, but it was really the lineage. It was this accumulation of power and energy. And yeah, so I just, I really had to kind of get to know this in my body and understand what it was. And I know that he was very, he really respected the lineage that he came from and that he studied under. And I feel the same way, even though I haven't met Sadhguru Sankeshavadas because he passed, but I have met Sadhguru Ramamata. I've had many energetic initiations from her. She's been to my studio many times. So I've been able to have a relationship with her. And, uh, and so it feels like I can say I've stepped into the lineage, whatever that means, but it just means it's more of an energy. It's a feeling. It's something that you can't really describe, I guess, is, is what it comes down to. And you're kind of, you're carrying forth the energy of that lineage as you teach. Exactly. Yeah. And um, can you explain what a sadguru is? Because I don't know that a lot of people know what that is. Sure. So most people probably have heard of guru, which is uh, darkness and light. And, or the guru takes one from out of darkness into the light. And it basically means teacher. A sadguru is, is, someone who is even a little bit more than that. I don't want to say accomplished, but there's there's a different type of energy 
they're considered to be more in a light body, which might, they might, they look human, but they might have some extra power or they might have a very a deeper understanding of who you are. I know when I'm with Sadhguru Ramamata, I feel like when she looks at me, she knows my past, present, and future. And I don't have to say anything. I can just be quiet. And she knows what I'm thinking and she knows everything about me. And it's a really kind of wild feeling, I have to say. But it's, it's, I think we all can attain to places like that or transform to places where the mind is not as crowded and we're just more perceptive. So I think that's how I describe Sadhguru is it's just another frequency, like another vibration altogether. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've experienced that firsthand, it sounds like. Yeah, I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the work you're doing sounds, uh, this offering mantra teacher trainings is, I, I, um, I feel like you're almost ahead of the curve which is ironic to say because this is a path that goes back thousands of years for whatever reason. It's the asana that's kind of carried forward in the West. And um, what I have found is kirtan is very accessible to a lot of individuals. Now they have, have you heard of Bhakti Fest that's popular out here? Oh yeah. 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 And uh, as a way to sing and connect and, and there's a lot of musicians now that are integrating in, mantra so there's there are undertones of mantra and especially in music are you a fan of kirtan oh yeah i love it absolutely beautiful yeah Yeah. and uh and so is this how does this mantra practice differ from kirtan well i feel it's all sacred honestly i mean they both use the sacred words. The Sanskrit language is very connected to our primal body and energetic system. And whether you're singing it or whispering it or saying silently, it's all sacred to me. It's, it has differences, and I think the differences might vary from person to person. But I feel like, I mean, the kirtan is, for me, it's kind of ecstatic. Well, I mean it really gets into your bones and you're jumping and dancing and having that type of thing. Um, but you can really feel the bhakti. You can really feel the love in your heart and the devotion and kind of everything else is external. So it really like allows the, the energy to rise and to feel the love with everybody around you and to immerse in kind of nada yoga or the energy of sound with, um, with music. And there's still repetition in kirtan, which I think is beautiful. Uh, so this is a question actually comes to me quite often in the training. Like, what's the difference between kirtan and mantra japa? And so the difference is with a mantra japa practice, or really what I've learned from Namadeva, is a mantra japa meditation practice is a little bit more formal, I'd say where you don't have to do it sitting. You don't have to do it in front of a candle. It doesn't have to be, anything like that. You can do it when you're walking or doing everyday activities, but it's a focus. It's a discipline that you focus on and perhaps have an intention around that you're going to do a certain mantra for a certain amount of days and a certain amount of repetitions. And I'm sure in the kirtan world as well, you can have intentions that are similar that every day you play kirtan, you have your own private practice or whatnot. 
but it's just a different practice. And I think there are different results, even though we shouldn't be focused on the result of it. And it would be great to have maybe like a Kirtan artist right here with us so that we could kind of go back and forth about the pros and cons of the practices. But for me, it's all sacred and it's just a different practice. And I feel like everyone is attracted to different practices for different reasons. It's actually one of the the beautiful parts I feel to Hinduism or the Eightfold Path is that there are so many choices of how you want to get to the divine. It all leads mm-hmm. to the same place. And so you can move through the physical practice. You can uh, move through karma yoga, selfless service. You can move through the bhakti path, whether it's kirtan or mantra japa. There's so many choices and it's up to you what you choose. So it's not dogmatic mm-hmm. to me. It's, it's really, um, it gives you a lot of freedom, which I love. That's beautiful. You really encapsulate that well. And it's all sacred, as you said. And I was up in Yogaville not too long ago and um, Satchitananda founded uh, Yogaville in Virginia. And they have a beautiful temple there. And uh, there's a huge shaft of light that goes through the center of this like gigantic lotus. It's the building shaped in the lotus. And then in each direction, there's about, there's an altar. There's about 30 different altars, each to different religions. So you have like a um, Christianity uh, altar and Hinduism and, and Judaism, and then has and religions on yet to be found and all around. And, and then uh, in the middle, it says, and then, then they all meet in the shaft of light. They all kind of have their own lights meeting in the middle of the shaft of light, you know, and is as representation of all the path. And one of the main teachings there is truth is one. And paths are many. And it's, it's just, I think we would all, this is, we would all do well, I think, by remembering that in terms of what you just said. And it's all sacred. Every path is sacred and we can't judge any path. And I really appreciate you, you speaking, speaking to that. Absolutely. And, and, and I feel like I get that from Namadeva, to be honest. I mean, there's so many characteristics of Namadeva uh, that I carry forth, or at least I, I mim- try to mimic. And his humbleness. He was so humble and he was so accepting of all religions, all people. He wanted that. He wanted to learn more. He was, you know, he spent time with the Buddhists and the yogis and whoever he could get initiations from, he would. It wasn't, oh, I can't get that initiation because you're not my lineage or you're not, you don't do the same thing as I do. There was none of that at all. He was very open and accepting. And I feel like that's part of what made him who he was because he had so many stories and so many ways to teach that he was able to make it accessible to everybody that came across his path. And I felt like that was such a, a beautiful part of his teachings. And I, I miss that. I have to say it's, I, I really mm. do. It, it's, um, it's a, it's a real gift. And yeah. And just knowing the way that he taught and the person that he was, I was able to be with him just not too long before his passing out in um, Oregon. And he initiated us to the last days of his life. It was all about passing the energy and energy transmissions. And it, it was nothing to do about him. And it was, mm. it was completely accepting of his condition, even though he said, it's not time. I have a book to write. <laughs> you know, I have things to do. And, but it was all about this, this, total commitment to the path 
Um, and mm-hmm. it, yeah, just astounding. Yes. And I never met him personally. Uh, you can feel his energy through his, his talks and his CDs. And there is no doubt there is, he is tar- in terms of storytellers. He is just, there's no one like him in terms of a storyteller. You know, and that's such a gift to be able to teach wisdom through story. It really is. Yeah. I mean, you if you had a group of people in a room, that was that's all you needed to invite him to tell a story. I mean, mm-hmm. he just told stories and, and it was the all the myths that are so rich in detail and characters and gods and goddesses and demons. And he would teach through that. And it was so fun. Plus, he had a theatrical background, which I don't know if you know. Um, so he had this, he was an actor also. So he had that, that talent to go around with storytelling. And it's, it's actually right now, I'm actually writing the 300 hour training, which is the sequel to the 200 hour mantra teacher training. And I have, uh, additional mantra techniques, um, teaching techniques. And one of them is storytelling. So that we'll be able to read his stories and be able to tell a myth or tell a story and how the mantras connect to that story and what is the personality of this deity and what do these mantras give us and it just makes it more fun i have to say oh for sure yeah, yeah. and memorable it does yeah he was he was the one did you have a favorite story that he would share or something that's coming to mind that you want to share with our, our listeners here oh boy there's so many stories let me think. I'm sure that there's one. I know that I do have a story. So there's a deity called Ganesha, which I think a lot of people know. But if you don't know, if you're listening, you don't know Ganesha, he's the elephant-headed god. And he's um, his parents are Shiva and Parvati. And um, he's he has a big belly. He's really, he loves to eat, Ganesha. And the belly signifies the universe, that all of the universe is within him. And so Ganesha Chartirthi is Ganesha's birthday. And it's usually at the end of August. This year, it's August 22nd. And that's when you kind of honor and he's very playful. So you can eat and dance and chant and to celebrate Ganesha. So one year on Ganesha's birthday, his mom Parvati decided to make him 21 different dishes, 21 of his favorite dishes. And so the 21 symbolizes uh, seven lokas above, seven lokas below, and seven oceans. So in those 21 dishes, Ganesha was thrilled beyond belief. And he gobbled every last bit of it up, right? And so ecstatic on his birthday his mom cooked him this food he was in heaven and his uh his vehicle who was the mouse which symbolizes the ego was there with him and the mouse says come on get on my back let's let's go on a journey tonight and so ganesha you know pretty big and wide hops on the mouse and they start journeying through the universe and noticing all kinds of things in the universe together. And they come across a snake on the journey that they're taking. And Ganesha looks at the snake and he has a wonderful, like a brilliant idea because he's really conscious of his belly. Like he's feeling kind of embarrassed 
even though he loved all this food, he's feeling a little, a little embarrassed. So he takes the snake and he ties it around his waist. Now you probably, if you've seen pictures of Ganesha, you might see pictures of a snake tied around his waist. The snake actually symbolizes Kundalini, but at this, in this story, it's, he uses it as a belt. So he thinks that this snake is, uh, is hiding his belly. So he puts it around his waist, he kind of ties it, and suddenly he hears this laughing, like this hysterical laughing. And he becomes even more embarrassed because he doesn't know who it is. And he looks up in the sky and he notices that it's the moon. And the moon just, he could not, he was doubled over, just laughing, laughing, laughing at Ganesha for what he had done. So at this, at this point, Ganesha was really upset, didn't know what to do. So he broke off one of his tusks, which you notice Ganesha has one tusk because the other one's broken. He broke off his tusk and he hurls it at the moon. And the moon stops dead, quiet, felt terrible, and became silent. So that's one story of how Ganesha lost his one tusk. There are multiple stories, but that's one story. And just as a, as a follow-up on that story, there was, uh, I think it was in 2009, right before Namadeva passed away, he was here in Keene, New Hampshire, and we were having breakfast together. And it was the beginning of September. And, you know, we're having breakfast and he looks up and he's, oh, so before I tell that, sorry, there's from this story, but they say that because of what happened with Ganesha and the moon, if you look at the moon in September, if you look at the full moon in September, you're going to be in a very bad mood and you're not going to have good luck come your way in that month. Oh, okay. I did not so, know that. Yep. So you don't want to look at the full moon in September <laughs> because it would mean that you're not supporting Ganesha. Um, but anyway, so Namadeva and I were having breakfast and he says, he looks up and he says, so did you see the full moon this month? I, he was trying to trick me. I said, no, <laughs> no, I didn't look at the full moon. <laughs> so that's kind of a silly little story, but that's a story about Ganesha Chartirthi, his birthday. and. Uh, and why he lost one of his tusks. That's beautiful. I, I had not heard that story. And um, and I knew his birthday was soon. So thank you. <laughs> Although by the time this airs, it would have been in the past. <laughs> <laughs> but September, I think, uh, hopefully this will be released before September. Uh, the full moon in September. So we'll, we'll yeah. learn that lesson. That's a great story. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to, you mentioned uh, the ego and the... Um, the mouse being the representative of the ego. And, you know, you hear all sorts of different ideas of how to work with the ego being a human being. We obviously have this identity as an individual, or most of us do, maybe unless you're a sad guru. Right. And then um, Ganesh doesn't squash the ego. The, the, the mouse is alive, it seems to me. Yeah. So how do you as a, as a teacher what are you and your and just like to ask you about what your thoughts are on how to work mindfully with our ego and what are the what are the challenges that come up with our ego and what are the spiritual solutions to those either from through the eyes of Ganesh or just through what you've learned over over time? Well, I don't know all the tricks or else I'd be fully realized, but I can I can just share what I think I know. So the ego mind personality is that part of us that feels that's kind of egocentric, like the world wraps around me. Like I'm completely immersed in my problems and my world and my suffering. And, 
and all that. And we've all been there. I mean, it's, it's part of the human condition, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Every day for me. Yeah, every day. There's a, there's a piece of <laughs> it every day. But really when we're immersed in that ego mind, that's really where a lot of suffering is because we're just focused on ourselves. And so at least how I understand it, the practices of yoga or are to move into places that are not selfish, but are selfless so that we feel that we are part of a bigger being and we have compassion for all sentient beings. And it's interesting, as soon as you kind of take yourself out of your own stuff, it changes your perspective and you're not focusing so much on your suffering. So the the mouse indicates the ego, but Ganesha rides the mouse, meaning that Ganesha understands how to be with the mouse, but be fully realized at the same time. And so that's what we learn from that relationship. And really the practices, just in my experience, are what help us to move out of our suffering. I I think there is less suffering when you're immersed in spiritual practice. That's been my experience. And for me, that path has been the mantra japa meditation and really working with Know a lot of mantra repetition over and over and over again, and these sacred words, the Sanskrit words, replace your subconscious and the worry and the doubt and the and the negative belief patterns and the negative belief patterns, all all the all that stuff, and it brings us to a place of truth and it reduces illusions, so we can really see the the truth to a specific situation or relationship. And it brings more inner peace. And it doesn't feel like you have to be so immersed in your own suffering or or your own ego. Yeah. When you're moving deeper inside, the way that I see it also is we have this body and we have this world that we look out into, and that's the external. And there's so much going on in the external. But if we close our eyes and we start to go into silence, there's an entire world in the silence. So when you're sitting quietly, that's just the beginning of meditation or rea- or truth or rea- real reality as we know divinity and getting into those kind of calmer states and states beyond the quiet and the silence allows us to understand that all of this external is has its own dynamic and frequency. And we can work with that when we do the practices a little bit more. It seems like we're not as involved in ourselves. So that's, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, it's good to reflect on. I do. I, I like to think about consciousness and what we're doing here and, you know, those big questions quite a bit. And, when we when we get it's easy to get taken away by the senses by what we see and what we hear and what's around seemingly around us in, in the world and we interact with that on, on most of our lives and I think if what however you want to define a spiritual path part of the spiritual path is what you said directing your attention inward because there's a whole world there as you as you had mentioned and what I find really interesting with mantra and I'd be curious about your perspective on this. When I chant a mantra over and over and over again, or sometimes, let's say, during a practice, not necessarily a 40-day, but for, for some time, 
there's and sit in silence after very often there's insights or energy that I am able to perceive as if I'm looking on the world. So as if my eyes take in, my eyes are open, I see what's around me right now. But in meditation, my eyes are closed, I'm able to take in that same kind of information and I get I get insights as the best way to put it or intuition. It's almost as if the mantra is the teacher. And so the sound itself or the vibration itself is somehow educating my consciousness or awareness as I'm starting to interpret it. I'm just curious what your perception is of that type of inner experience of mantra. Yeah, I love that you said the mantra is the teacher. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Uh, Well, the mantra, the Sanskrit language, it kind of is a segue into Sanskrit language. It just feels as though the Sanskrit language, we have deep roots in it. It's a very ancient language that was created for chanting. and it's directly connected to our energetics, our body. And so I, I feel like that experience of, you know, there's, there's a vibration that intensifies when we're chanting or we're doing the repetition over and over. Namadeva would talk about kind of the kneading of the muscles or how we're sanding away the karma. Oh, like each repetition is sanding away, which is such a beautiful image. Because it it sands away the suffering or the worry or or negative thinking, and when we're chanting like that over and over and over again, I feel like the vibration and all of the subtleties of our subtle body get uh, they build, and so that becomes our experience, and not just when we look outside. So it's. Everything gets more refined. That's why we have maybe revelations or visions, or we can see energy and things like that, because that's really who we are at the at the core, at the base. And it's just we're just being reminded of who we are. Really, it's not it's not creating anything new. It's mm. it's just focusing on a different part of ourselves. There's a the Gayatri mantra. I'm sure you're mm. familiar with. Um, no, I love it. Yeah, and in in a Namadeva's lineage, the long form Gayatri is the most familiar, as most people do chant the short form, but the long form is was one of his main practices. And one of the applications for the Gayatri is that it expands the causal body. So the causal body is kind of the energetic body that's furthest away from our physical body. And so if we can expand that and make it bigger so that we can have more light inside of us it's again a beautiful image and it makes sense because you feel so light filled when you're chanting the gayatri and it expands our causal body so that we can take in more healing and take in more light because where there's light there's no darkness so yeah so i love that that internal piece that you just brought up of what's happening internal you know when we're chanting and it's just reminding us it's it's just creating a focus in a different place. I love that you said it's not creating anything new. It's already there. It's almost like it's like you're kind of cleaning away some of the muck to see clearly through a window or something like that. Exactly. And I'm sure you get a lot of, a lot of questions and the comments about people's internal experiences, which I think are fascinating, like energy awakening in the base of the spine and, and which we may call Kundalini or, and all sorts of feelings and sensations. And it's just, uh, 
it's an it's a, it seems to be an awakening of some sort or remembering of some sort um connecting as you said to the causal body and because it's one thing to just say oh this mantra practice is it's going to do so much for you and it's very powerful and but really until you start to viscerally feel it and have these kind of internal experiences it's like what this is there's something really going on here and the challenge is there's no way to really measure it from this Western scientific perspective, at least yet, right? So we can just describe it through, as you said, metaphor, story, and just sharing these experiences, which is one of the reasons I created this podcast, so that to give a voice to the subjective realm and to our internal perceptions and to just because I think it's important to share. You know, a lot of this has been behind closed doors, and I think it's good for us to be able to give voice to what our path is and what the, our challenges are and different options available to us, such as what you're offering. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think you hit on a lovely thing that it's accessible to us because way back when, thousands of years ago, this was really just for the Brahmins to practice. They didn't really want women to practice mantra. They didn't want the general public to chant mantra. So it was, everything was kept secret. And now we have all of these teachings that are just so powerful and anyone can do them. And it's, it's also, I just want to say that it is a spiritual practice and it's not religious. And that's also another question that I get. It's, of course, you can consider it Hindu in a certain way because it's from the Sanskrit language. But at the same time, we have all these choices and we're not asked if we start a mantra practice, a Sanskrit mantra practice, we're not being asked to do anything else. We're just, it's, it's experiential. So if you like it, then you can chant. And so I find that, I just think that's an important thing to say as well. That No question. I would actually yeah. like to ask you a little bit about that because I have people in my family, for instance, that identify strongly as Christians. And when I bring up Sanskrit, or Sanskrit, they immediately think it's a work of the devil. And, uh, and that they're not, they're very closed down to that. And so it's, I, I appreciate you bringing up that it's a, to differentiate between it's a spiritual practice, meaning it's open to everyone, accessible to everyone that's interested and not associated with purely one religion or one dogma. Exactly. Yeah. So it feels as though we're all spirit. We all come from the same place, and there is a deity in the teachings of Narayana, and Narayana is that place that we come from and that place we go back to, and mm -hmm. that's how I like to explain it. We are chanting to, and we're connecting to a place where we've come from and where we go back to, and it's, it's not a place that we can completely understand. But it's, we all have that, we all have that in common. We're all human beings. And if we can all drop down to a place of just humanity, then we can practice what works for us. And what's, what's so beautiful about these teachings is, number one, the freedom that you have with them. You can chant any mantras you want. There aren't certain ones that you have to chant. And what they can do for our daily life. So it's, we can talk about all the spirituality and about moving past the silence and meditation, all those kinds of things. But to put it really simply, it's a path to help us in our daily life. 
And what I say to people who feel that, who immediately judge it or say, this is the work of X, Y, and Z, or this is, this is dogmatic. I don't want to participate. What I normally do is say, just experience it, you know, experience it. And so when I run workshops and things like that, the first thing we do before I start talking about all the techniques is we chant and we feel it. And within five minutes, everyone's dropped down into their body. And it's like, then they'll take all the information that I have to offer. And so I feel like the experience of it is where it's at. It's let's chant Om Shanti Om, which is I am peace for 54 repetitions. It's just, it's just I am peace. I am peace. Let's chant that together slowly. And it's pretty amazing what transpires when we just drop down into the words and into the practice, because I feel like all those judgments and criticisms are just coming from the mind. It's pointing fingers at this, this, and this, but, and yeah, so the daily practice is just what I really cherish. And I see people going through, I'll say, just let's try this nine day practice. Let's just do nine days of this practice. And you'll chant this mantra 27 times for nine days. Take about three minutes. And, oh, I really like this. This is, it's so wonderful to have something to come back to every morning. It centers me. It's only three minutes. I can do it. And then before you know it, they want to do a full mala, which is 108 repetitions. And, oh, it only takes me six minutes. I love this mantra. It's just, it's so nice. I can do it when I'm driving or walking or sitting quietly. And, well, let's maybe do two mantras and 108 of each. And now they're doing a half an hour practice. And they've gotten the job that they wanted and they feel more loving in their relationship. And so it's, it's these little segments of how someone who has a question about it or is, doesn't really feel completely committed to just try it and see what happens in your daily life. Beautiful. Yes. And I know Namadeva and a number of other teachers that I very, very much respect suggest this don't they say don't take my word for it they say this is just try it yourself and see what your experience is experience is is the greatest teacher of all and um gandhi is i wrote a book called uh, my experiments with truth right so it's, it's experiments everything's an experiment in life you know like just try it out see what happens if you like it great continue if you don't like it great drop it it's no no big deal it's just but you, but you you do miss 100% of the, sh- the shots you don't take, as they say in sports. And uh, so you have nothing really to lose here. And, and that's what got me in, into it as well. Just like I was desperate. I was having major health problems and mental challenges and stress. And I did not want to take pills. I just didn't. It was prescribed to me. So I got into a mantra practice. And after trying a little bit, I wanted more and more. And I started feeling way better than I ever did before I had the challenge. So in that way, it was the silver lining. And since then, I've been hooked. But well, it's usually one of life's challenges that, that we're looking and, or, and that we go through some challenging time. And, and, and we can take those forks in the road and we can say, you know, I like, kind of the give up approach. I'm done with this. Or we can really use this as an opportunity. And I think for those, uh, those individuals looking as, as life as kind of opportunities, uh, then this mantra practice is a 
is a great opportunity to explore a different way of working with life and with energy as, as you're saying, it's very practical. And even though it's kind of strange, I was talking about this about Bill. It's like, it's strange. We're chanting sounds and it affects our life. <laughs> it's just, it's a, on a certain level of the left brain, it's like, does not compute. <laughs> you say I chant Om Gum Gana Pate Namaha and that's going to remove like these challenges in my work. Or, <laughs> when they do, we hear it over and over and over again, the report and the uh, people saying, you know, the effects of these mantras. It's just honestly, it's still, it blows my mind. I've been doing it for over 10 years now. It's just like, this is incredible. Yeah. It's almost like, it's like affirmations. You know, people say, positive affirmations and how positive thinking can change your life. And I am beautiful. I am love. I am peace, whatever it is. It's the same type of thing that, that words can, can really affect your, your being because what you're speaking, you're thinking and it it creates what we do. And so, yeah, it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any, any stories before we round out our, our conversation that you are compelled to share that was kind of success stories around mantra for yourself or anybody you've been working with that kind of can share an, an, an example of somebody wanting to work with a mantra and they did and, and then what came up for them and, and how that showed up in internally or externally? I do have a lot of stories, actually. I do a lot of private consults with people and sometimes I'll work with somebody just once, but that's usually not the case. Usually I'll work with someone for a period of time with a, a few different consults. I've had I've had women that couldn't have babies, weren't fertile, that have had children, but they've been very committed to their practice, very energetically committed to it, and they've reaped the benefits, which is something astounding, I think. Health issues too for people. Uh, there's a, a mantra, Om Shri Dan Van Trenamaha, the celestial healer. And so this is a mantra that allows healing, but it also allows the healing path. So if you have a specific ailment, it might kind of guide you in the direction of either an allopathic doctor, or maybe it's an acupuncturist or, or whatnot. But um, I did have a friend who was suffering a great deal. She had a tumor actually in her leg. It was, turned out not to be cancerous or anything, but the chanting kind of allowed her to I'm not just relax into it, but she was guided to the right doctor. And it felt like she just felt like she was in the flow. As soon as she was chanting and she did it every day and she was very committed, she really felt like she was in the flow. Um, another woman who was, was suffering from endometrial cancer, and I gave her a, a sequence of the sun mantras. There are 12 mm. uh, gifts of the sun, sun mantras, and they're all for kind of captivating the energy of the sun, the golden healing light of the sun. I mean, there, there are 12 different aspects, but it would carry her. She would chant this on the way to when she was going to get chemotherapy. And she was amazed mm. at how she was able to relax and be with her condition. And she moved through it really beautifully. So Things like that. I mean, I, I really do have a million stories of yeah. the types of things. And again, you say, how can these words just, how does this change my life? I don't, I don't get it. But it's, you know, you try it. And when you're in situations like that, you, you want to try whatever you can. But it's given a lot of people relief and a lot of people direction in their life, what path to take. 
So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I am. I connected with somebody two weeks ago for a consult about he's going through chemo for cancer as well. And he has been working with his practice for two weeks and it's basically become the foundation of his, it's just like a rock for him. That's something that he can go to and turn to and feel really solid with, as well as having that mental kind of clarity and calm as he goes through this really, these health challenges. I really appreciate you bringing that up. That's so powerful. And I'm in the health field myself, and I'm really drawn to to share these mantras for for healing, for health, for for balance. And uh, anybody listening that uh, is interested, I mean, it's I really pursue this path uh, if you're called to it. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to contact you or sign up for the the workshop or learn more? How how can they find? You? Um, sure. So my email address is the yoga space. T-H-E-Y-O-G-A-S-P-A-C-E at gmail.com. And I have two websites uh, for the Mantra Teacher Trainings. It's actually Mantra Teacher Trainings, uh, plural, dot com. And you can find all of my offerings on there, as well as the trainings and online things that I give as well. Another website is the Yoga Space NH. So it's just spelling out the yoga space and H for New Hampshire.com. And that also has uh, workshops and, th- and things that I give as well. And, um, and online. So I, I, I am moving forward with these trainings with great success, but I also do supported 21 and 40 day practices online. So everything is done through newsletters and I give recordings and everyone does it at the same time. They come out. If you want to be on my my mailing list, you can just send me an email and you'll be getting those those newsletters. So those are beautiful too. And I do book groups, Namadeva's books for healing mantras and Shakti mantras. Nice. Usually a six-week program that I do. And we go through the book page by page with all the mantras and stories. And I really enjoy, I love doing that. So Super fun. Beautiful. And we'll post your sites up on our landing page on our website as well, the podcast. And would you mind sharing uh, how you how you your name came to be and your full name? Sure. So my American name is Gretchen, and um, I asked Namadeva for a spiritual name. Probably, let's see, passed in twenty ten, so it was probably in two thousand eight, and it took a while. I kept kind of reminding him. For, for a spiritual name and uh, that's usually what you do if you want a spiritual name if you, you ask a guru or a spiritual teacher and he he gave me the name it, it was probably like six months later and mm-hmm. um, he gave me the name Rajeshwari so Raja means king-like and Eshwari means divine feminine principle so it's it's like royal goddess basically which I feel very of course I was excited to get that name um, <laughs> it's a good one <laughs> it's a good one <laughs> most, most people call me Raji, though, for short. Mm. R-A-J-I. Yeah. Beautiful. Kind of a, a tongue twister. Yeah, Raji. It has a nice ring to it. Raji, it's easy to say. Yeah, it is. It is. And you feel really connected to that that name. I do now. It took a little bit of time, but I, I do feel connected. He would call me Rajima. R-A-J-I-M-A. Mm. I like that. really lovely. Yeah. So you have your choice. Whatever you want to call me is fine. 
<laughs> well, Raji, Raji Ma, thank you so much. Is there anything, any other thoughts you have to close or share that you feel you want to say? No, I would just love to have anyone listening be part of the training. The first, the 200-hour mantra teacher training begins the beginning of October. And um, you can check all the information out on mantrateachertrainings.com. And it can be done online as well as in-house here in Keene, New Hampshire. But there is an online program to, uh, to reach those that are not local or, or inter- international. So I would, yeah, I'd love to, um, the more folks, the better to, to be together during this time, especially with COVID. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And I just wanted to emphasize what a what an amazing training this is. And and I really appreciate you offering it to to the public and sharing your wealth of information and your expertise and carrying on the work of the lineage. And yeah, this is how we we make the world more beautiful place with teachings like this. That's right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on Sound Medicine, Mantras and Music. If you are enjoying the podcasts, click subscribe. To access other episodes, more interviews and music, please visit our website at www.mantrasandmusic.com. That's www.mantrasandmusic.com. Join us next Thursday for the release of our newest episode. Thanks again for your support. See you next week. are interested in all the benefits of performing your own 40-day mantra discipline, then be sure to visit the podcast webpage at mantrasandmusic.com and sign up for Geo's premier online training course titled Ultimate Chance Mantra Meditation Course, offering valuable guidance for anyone wanting to increase abundance, enhance health, overcome obstacles, reduce stress, gain clarity, and advance personal goals. You will be guided step-by-step by by Geo to complete a 40-day powerful practice of mantra in a clear, fun, and easy-to-follow program.